From the Ecology Prime Studios, this is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Aparicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day. Political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole in sacred America, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one. And this time, not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. With all our systems, economic, political, healthcare, and more crashing all around us, how do we even begin to imagine change? Where is the change? How do we think about it, talk about it, take part in it? Is there such a thing as systems change anymore? Or are we kidding ourselves with abstract formulas that cannot possibly keep up with the changes happening all around us? Right now, everyone is trying to figure out how to live in a worldwide pandemic. We have been in pandemics before but never in such a radically interconnected world with high-speed air travel and even faster electronic communication, rampant environmental pollution, nuclear weapons, and emerging autocracies, among other complicating factors. What have we learned? How do we deal with uncertainty in a productive way? Or are we on a downward spiral to, to, due to humanity's inability to create balance among other humans and the more-than-human world? We all want to rebuild a more coherent and beautiful world. But we cannot move too fast. We must first learn to dance with trickster energies. It may be preemptive to propose replacement forms of order in the midst of such chaos. Instead, we might need to learn a new language, a new mode of being in the world that is more creative and flexible. What stance and mindset will help us adapt to the rapid and radical changes of the present? With our systems unraveling, this is our opportunity to go beyond symptoms to root causes that unite seemingly different events. What are the openings that Trickster is now making known to us? What are the resources, stories, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom we can draw from these uncertain times? Join us as we delve into dancing with uncertainty. And now I'd like to introduce our uh, our guest today, and I'm really excited about this. Actually, these are two of my favorite people in the world, so we're going to have a, we're going to have fun, and we're probably going to get in a very deep deep dive too. So first, Alfonso Montori. I, I, I met Alfonso Montori at the California Institute of Integral Studies where he has been a longtime professor. And he's also been a distinguished professor in the School of Fine Arts at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and at the University of Rome, 
And in 1985 to 1986, he taught at the Central South University in Hunan, China. And that's pretty interesting now. Alfonso was born in Holland, and he's lived in Lebanon, Greece, England, and China before coming to the United States in 1986. His father was Italian and his mother Dutch, and he grew up speaking several languages. An active musician and producer, Alfonso has performed with or recorded artists such as Joe Henderson, Rory Hargrove, Aztec Camera, and his wife, the noted jazz singer Kitty Margolis. His research has focused on creativity, transdisciplinarity, complexity, leadership, education, and social change. And his work has been translated into Chinese, French, Italian, and Spanish. Alfonso has also been a consultant in the areas of creativity, innovation, and leadership development, whose clients have included Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, and artists. Well, all right, and and now Nora Bateson and I'm, you know, I I met Nora through Alfonso, so I'm just so delighted that they're here together. Nora is an award-winning filmmaker, research designer, writer, and educator, as well as the president of the International Bateson Institute, based in Sweden, where she has put together a team that works on an innovative form of inquiry that Nora calls transcontextual research and a corresponding new form of information she calls warm data. An international lecturer, researcher, and writer, writer Nora wrote, directed, and produced the award-winning documentary An Ecology of Mind, a portrait of her father, Gregory Bateson. Her work brings the fields of biology, cognition, art, anthropology, psychology, and information technology together into a study of the patterns in ecology of living systems. She's been the recipient of the 2019 Neil Postman Award for Career Achievement in Public Intellectual Activity, and her book, Small Arcs of Larger Circles, released by Triarchy Press, is a revolutionary personal approach to the study of systems and complexity and the core text now at Harvard University's LILA program. Her next book, Warm Data, will be released, I think, soon, perhaps in uh, 2021 by uh, Triarchy Press. It's on the, it's in the works. So welcome, welcome, Nora, welcome, Alfonso. It really is so nice to have you here, here, where it's here anymore, but in our virtual space together. Thank you. How are you it's doing? Great to see you here. Hi, Norris. Good to see you again after such a long time. It's great to be here. Great yeah. to see you, Alfonso. Thank you so much, guys. So, all right, I'm going to I'm going to dive right in and I'm going to ask you just a, you know, an easy question. Okay. Is the natural world one of linear cause and effect, beginning with some original first cause, or is it more of an orchestra playing together, or is it more like a bunch of jazz groups that creative, creatively synchronize but leave room for improvisation? I think C. <laughs> it doesn't have to be you don't have to choose even one but okay but but, but, 
But is it is it a world of Lydia cause and effect? Is it is it an orchestra playing together or a bunch of jazz groups that creatively synchronize I mean, but leave room for improvisation? Nora, go ahead. Don't you think it's kind of a combination of all of that? It just sort of it requires a little bit of everything. And and um and you know, also the soil, which is some other kind of um relational making relational process. Um, so, I, I mean, I think there's a, a, a place in life where there's linear process and there's a place where there's organized process and there's a place where there's improvisational process and there's a place where there's um, something that happens that you don't really know what the, the order is until later. There's some sort of stochastic process in there too so I think it's all of that mm. thank you and Alfonso yeah I agree I mean I think I think in the end we've created all of them right mm. I mean we create the orchestral approach we create jazz they're they're all human creations, interpretations maybe of what we think the world is like or should be like, and then behaving sort of accordingly. So um, so it's certainly the case, I think, as, as, as Nora says, that depending on you know, different situations and also different, say, if we're talking about organization, different organizational needs, things show up in a different way. And in some cases, it, it makes sense for them to be Structured more like a, a, a symphony orchestra than, than a jazz band, right? Um, mm. so, but I think one of the things, uh, you know, as you know, for me, one of the things that's been very important is looking at, at education and specifically how education does not, uh, uh teaches to be improvisers. Right. So, so stop me before I go into a whole riff here. Um, but <laughs> the whole comparison between the, the classical and the jazz, I think is very interesting because what, what a lot of people don't know is that before 1800, what we now call classical European musicians, right, used to improvise. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, Beethoven was an incredible improviser. They would have, uh, competitions improvising, right? Mm. And then at a certain point, uh, improvisation was removed, uh, and, and considered to be inferior the way it was for the longest time and still is by some people now, right? Improvisation means you don't have a, the, the right score, so you just have to make something up, right? Mm. Which is a sort of a, you know, way to make do, right? And, and mm. so improvisation was seen as not the right thing to do and following the right score was, became the right thing to do. And so students never learn to improvise now, right? They just learn mm. the score that somebody else feeds them. Mm. So in that sense, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, wonderful opportunity to see how how we're structuring our lives how how we're educating what we're educating for we're educating kids to play the score that somebody else wrote Mm. we're not 
Yeah, thank you for that. How to compose and how to improvise. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, like opera was, you know, kind of the rock and roll of his time or something, and you know, and 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 then, yeah, things have shifted over time. But but what about in the in the natural world? How much of the natural world is is a uh, is determined in a certain way, and how much is left for incompletion and improvisation? Nora, I mean, you know, there's, yeah. there's a again. I think it's a combination, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at my kids, right, they they look a little like me, but they're not me. On the other hand, they're not puppies or piglets or butterflies. Um, so there is order, but there's mm. also a, a, a kind of a, a chaos. There's also there's also room for there to be an ongoing. Um, sort of multi-relational responsive process to every moment, right? So, so somehow both of those things have to be true simultaneously or you don't have the kind of order that continuation requires. Um, but if, if you, if it's all exactly the same, again, you don't have the kind of, of changes of shiftings. That continuation requires. So it's got to be both. Uh, and I think it's, um, it's, it's theme and variation, right? And, and that's again, you know, coming back to music, those things mm. are both there. Mm. Yeah, theme and variation. Yeah. Well, what about now? You know, in the times we're living in now, things are becoming certainly more complex. I mean, and interwoven. I mean, I think, I think I read once in your, something you wrote, Alfonso, that that's the etymology of complexity is weaving. So it's one of my favorite things. So, so it, it, it's, uh, uh, the world is more interwoven together. I mean, we're, we're, we're demonstrating that right now because, you know, Nora's calling in from Sweden and we're got Sweden and California and New Mexico together on the line. Um, and, and so much of so much of interaction these days is done in this way that that crosses borders, crosses cultures that used cultures that used to grow up organically in a particular place around the rhythms of a particular place. Um, now it is uh, increasingly complex, and that has caused some problems, um, but it also gives some opportunities. So it's. These days, I'm wondering, you know, what is your approach to systems change? You're both um, uh, written and studied a lot about systems change. And uh, uh, what do you see happening now? You know, what and what is the, the is there an adjustment required in, in the approach to systems change? Alfonso, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I think that there's there's no question that things have gotten a lot more complex, and and also 
um, you know, time and space have changed considerably here, right? As we can, as we can see just from, from this Zoom call. Uh, and so changes happen a lot faster and the world is, is more, uns- more complex and also more uncertain. And as we're seeing now, there's one event after the other, all, they're all, they're all vying for our attention, right? Hmm. So with things becoming faster, they also, uh, our ability to pay attention to them to some extent also becomes more superficial in a way, right? Hmm. Uh, it's just spending a little bit of time with this and then, oh, here's the other next shiny big thing that we need to pay attention to. And so everything, our, our ability to deal with that complexity is severely challenged, apart from the fact that education is for anything like this. Um, and so one of the tendencies is to simplify, mm. right? To, to put everything in terms of black and white, uh, clear, uh, clear sense of who is to blame for our current problems. Um, and, uh, that, I, that has appeal. And I think that's what you see in a lot of the authoritarian rhetoric. Is, mm. is you see this clarity. You see these declarative statements that say, I can fix this. It's a simple problem. What we need to do is this. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. And, and because people want something to hang on to, you know, we, mm. we, we're all, the more uncertainty, the more anxious we get, you know, people do, this is straight out of the, the authoritarian playbook. Um, but on the other hand, you know, a, a complex response is something that uh, would need uh, would require a little bit more time for me to prattle on about. So maybe I'll pass it on to Nora, and if we want to come back, to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess uh, it, it, it to me it, it seems you know like. Like Alfonso saying that there's just so many. When we're talking about systems change, we're talking about multiple processes that are changing at the same time. And um, this is pretty much a, a kind of um, a criteria of thinking about what systems change is. And the thing is, is that it, at first it's very difficult to see how they are related to each other. So, um, you know, there, there's a technology crisis and the kids are, you know, on their screens too much and we're all on our screens too much. And there's a there's a political crisis and there's authoritarian um, populism growing all over the world. And there's a, a climate crisis and mm-hmm. there's a, a crisis in education. There's a crisis in 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 a lot of families right now. Mm-hmm. Um there's a an opiate crisis. There's so you can just start to you know look at this collection, this aggregate of things that are in um, some sort of transformation, and and uh, the issue that I am really seeing is that in each one of those contexts. There's a whole lot of responses, and then those responses, they leak over into the other contexts that are, mm. are creating other responses and more responses. And so 
I think kind of to, to what Alfonso said, there's this kind of panic of everything not actually this, this, this quest for clarity is actually not only, um, causing reductionism and, 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 and requires reductionism, but it's also creating more confusion, um, by doing that. So the, the attempt to say, oh, this, this person's to blame or it's because of the mental health crisis or it's because of the, edu-, you know, anywhere you point to try to make it clear, actually turns out to to become an obstruction to the ability to perceive these pieces that are moving at the same time mm-hmm. like like alfonso said there's no training um in our schools um and and there's on the contrary the processes of our education separate teach us to see things as separated. Um, and that that sort of theme of separating things is then perpetuated through economics, through politics, through all sorts of aspects of our lives. Um, and the, I think the really insidious piece of that is the way that that same pattern becomes the pattern of approach into even looking at how we look at our own bodies or our families or our you know, or the, or the forest, that, that, that cultural habit of breaking things into parts and studying the parts. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with studying the parts, but we hardly ever put them back together again. So I think we're in systems change because there's all these pieces moving, uh, at the same time. I, it's fairly disorienting, actually, and I think it, I think it would be um, fair to allow more space for that disorientation right now, and and it's it's not really a time to know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. It's a time to recognize that even some of our history that is defining. That, you know, your identity is created through. And that history is actually being revealed to be different than we were taught in school. As we see statues falling, as we see this kind of increase in the the discourse of decolonializing, Mm -hmm. um, decolonializing the future. What, What was the past? Who were the heroes? What did happen? Suddenly looking backwards is really blurry. I think we lost Alfonso again. No, he's here. He's he here? here. He's very much here. Uh, okay, good. And, and uh, uh, are you there, Alfonso, Alfonso? I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, I I remember you writing about something that uh, John Keats yes. wrote about the, the negative here, capability yeah. um, um, that uh, uh, the negative capability to to be in uncertainties. Can you? Can you speak about that or any other way of navigating what Nora was talking about, these difficult times? Yeah, yeah well, I think, there, I, I think uh, she pointed it out, there, there is this tremendous uncertainty, and, but, and also a desire to eliminate that uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
at the same time, we can see that that uncertainty is being created and manipulated at this point, right? There's there's an effort to create confusion to destabilize people, right, by spreading all sorts of confusing information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one the same day that I read that I think the World Health Organization says that uh, COVID nineteen is three times more more uh, lethal than the flu. I walk into my chiropractor's office and he says, "It's out. It's no more deadly than the flu." <laughs> Which he'd seen that, day. and and it's and it's. And the other, and the thing that we have to keep in mind is that it, that we are being confused on top of what's already happening, right? Because the more confused people are, the more easily, the more easily we are, we are manipulated. Um, uh, for me, one of the interesting things about systems change is that, um, you know, the last, boy, 30, 40 years or so, um, has fallen out of favor. And even any sense that the future can be better has has taken a back seat. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people to tell them that I'm interested in better futures and how do we create better futures. And people cry mm-hmm. because it's never occurred to them to think of a better future. All they can think about is how to survive in this situation, right? And and you can see on TV and you can see the, with movies as well, everything is dystopian. Dystopian literature is very popular right now. There are all these dystopian scenarios around, um, but people struggle, would be like. You know, the research of Engelhardt and Norris talks about the silent revolution that happened in the, in the 60s, really. So it had to do with the environment, had to do with, with uh, uh, gender, and had to do with uh, race, civil rights, right? And that, and that movement is now sort of peaking with environmental awareness uh, uh, and so on. And, and at the same time, there's a big, there's a big uh, a pushback. Uh, there's a big backlash, which is the, actually the title of the Engelhardt and Norris book. There's a backlash against this focus on the environment, on gender, on on race. Um, but the thing is, there is no vision of what a green, gender-equal, diverse world looks like. And if you if you look at at the at the critique. Of that, you can see that way back in Birth of a Nation, right? Mm. What, which was basically a Ku Klux Klan movie about America, <laughs> right? Yes. There was this idea that, that, that African Americans were going to take over with their brutish ways, right? And, and if you remember, uh, uh, you know, there have been these, these right wing groups talking about Jews will not replace us. Mm-hmm. Right. There's this whole crisis of masculinity, which which some people refer to as a feminization of the country and terribly dangerous and so on. So this idea that it's a, that it's that it's either or that it's a that's a domination flip, basically. Right. 
mm-hmm. that it's going to be that 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 women are now going to be in charge that that African Americans are going to take over that white people are going to be you know pushed out in quote their own country right but part of the reason why that happens is because there is no vision of what a diverse uh, a gender equal ecological world looks like Mm. Right. Even even on the left, you struggle to see that really, truly articulated on the right. It's viewed as just a domination switch. So I think that's one certainly compelling reason to think about the future in, in more positive ways. Right. Wow. That's really good stuff. Um, and and I hope they're. The recording's good because it was coming in and out a little bit. When you were talking about uncertainty, the words were coming in and out a little bit. But it was, it was great. It was too good to... I want the talk, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no it's good. Um, but uh, it almost makes me, uh, you know, want to go to the core of, you know, a, a Gepsarian view of what's happening, you know, because you you brought up the, the question of whether it's a it seems like so many people have, have uh, believed that the only future is a dystopian one, and it's very true that that's very popular in the culture, and it's hard to see a, a positive future now. But it would seem like if, if more people had... Um, have been exposed to views of the natural world and, and views of uh, social change like Gebser was uh, um, speaking of, that they might be open to the idea that, you know, which is really a, it's part of nature that, that things, you know, it's a mm-hmm. principle of entropy. Sometimes things have to, have to, um, Dissolve or or disintegrate um, before a new structure can can emerge. Um, and and uh, uh, maybe you could speak to that, Nora, because I I, I just or, or uh, you know how can people become more comfortable with what is happening, even as it is uh, challenging. It's massively challenging because structures are falling apart. But but where is that? vision for that, how this is going to re, uh, not resolve, but how it's going to unfold in a way that will give new birth, new life. If you believe that, so. Well, you know, it's a, it's a tricky question because sure. it's, it's, um, I think it's easy to, uh, get caught in a kind of a cultural, a response to that that is informed with several hundred years of how you do something, thinking about how you do something and the doing of it. And, and this is a tricky one because, um, that, that to do that, what is necessary is to pull out from the larger systemic processes a few threads that you can see, that we can see, okay? So right from the get, our perception is a limited perception. Uh, We we think we're seeing nature, but we're seeing our version of nature. Mm. We think we're talking about the future, but we're talking about a future through our own limited frames, 
Mm. Um, and my frame's limited in a different way than yours is and so on. Um, so I think perception is really important here, but also kind of just going back to this, you know, this great quote of Gregory's that, that, um, the problem of actually communicating, uh, the way in which we'd like to see, wait, what is it? It's an ecological, the problem of how to transmit our ecological reasoning to those whom we wish to influence in what seems to us to be an ecologically good uh, direction is in itself an ecological problem. And and I think mm. before I would want to go into how do we vision the future, I would want to go in what's the ecology of ideas and the way that we're working in that ecology to start with. Um, I, I kind of get the ooh when I hear about we have to envision a better future, um, not because I don't believe we have a better future, but because those visions are pretty 2D. And and sometimes you need a, 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 a carrot out in front of you to get you going as long as there's the the willingness and the kind of the, the, the improvisational process to change the plans along the way. But if we look at how we got here, it wasn't linear, right? If you think about 10 years ago where you thought you would be, and I know, I don't know about you, but if I look at where I was 10 years ago um, and where I thought I would be now, I can safely say I'm really glad that pro- <laughs> that program worked out differently. Um, and in general, you know, even in hard times, there's this way in which complex systems, you know, you have a plan and then life happens. Mm. Um, and so there's, for me, that question that Monty's beautiful, uh, Alfonso's beautifully bringing in, sorry, <laughs> you know, it's been a long time, Alfonso, and my, my, my memory of how to use your name is uh, in the old file. Alfonso, sorry. Um, how Alfonso brought that up is, to me, it has to do with tending to what Blake called the minute particulars. That that the way in which something is tended, the 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 tone, the atmosphere, the approach of how something is tended today is what opens and closes all sorts of paths and possibilities for tomorrow. And and then those paths open and how they get tended opens more paths or closes them. And and you can really see this as a even a kind of, you know, people talk about with complexity, the butterfly effect. And when they talk about that, they usually talk about, you know, there's a butterfly and then there's a hurricane on the other side of the world or something. But if you ask yourself, what are the positive butterfly effects? How would you begin to even think about what kind of, um, what kind of participation and, and I would actually say it's perception. But anyway, what kind of participation you have in the moment of today has everything to do with what comes after it. And uh, I think that this is something that is not like a car engine. It's definitively not like an engineering plan. Um, it, it's, 
it's much more like permaculture. Hmm. And, and so this, this question of, of how to even think about the future for me has to do with recognizing I don't know. There's this one piece of, of work in systemic theory and complexity theory that's, you know, actually it's really inconvenient because when you start to actually bring it in, a lot of those systems maps, they just kind of perforate. Um, and that piece is the piece of uh, on abductive process. And the thing about abductive process is that it's it's um, it's tricky. Okay, it's tricky. And what it does is it uh, just to I'll just give you my kind of frame for how I describe it, and we can take it from there. But it's kind of how one context becomes a description for another, mm. right? So you know, in a marriage, you become descriptions of each other's descriptions of each other. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and in a family, you become descriptions of each other's descriptions of each other. And it becomes very difficult to figure out where the issue is. Now, if we stretch that into a societal process, you can start to see that the education system in a way is a description of the economic system. Right. The culture is a description of the way that science and religion and and you know even music are thought of and so our identities in the midst of all that become this this very reflective process you know if you think of um like a an a camouflaged animal right like those stick bugs that live in trees and you ask yourself Where's the edge of the stick bug? Right? Is the edge of the stick bug the, its its legs and its body? Look at that bug. That bug is a description of its context. In the same way that you are a description of your context, and I am too. And if you look around you in the room that you're in and look with eyes that are asking in what way am I a description of the last 600 years or 1,000 years of, of human history? You, it's right there to see. So, so this notion that we can just hop in and, you know, activate change is a, is coming from a, a different kind of possibility for what mm. action is. And it's not a possibility that's very informed by deep ecological understanding. Okay, that's really that's that's good stuff. I I uh I wonder how you can help our listeners navigate this these times even even more. Um 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 particularly in in America it's been it's been a very uh difficult collapsing time. I know you've been in Sweden, Nora, but I take it you've been watching. Um, and uh, um, what comes to mind is a story from, uh, you know, uh, a native story of a of an old woman who's weaving a beautiful rug. And as she nears completion of the rug, 
she uh, gets up to stir a soup that's on the fire. But when she gets up to stir the soup, her, her black dog that's been sleeping in the corner awakens and then pulls on the rug um, with his teeth and unravels the whole thing. And so the woman returns, and she's she's not angry at the dog, and she's unfazed, and she and she just stares into the rug for the longest time, and then finally picks up a thread and reimagines how to reweave the rug in even a more beautiful harmony than it was before. So I mean, um, I. I it seems to me like, uh, just to be blunt, that Donald Trump is the black dog in that, in that story. Um, <laughs> and, and he's, he's, uh, un, un, he's seemingly unraveled a lot of the, uh, systems, but maybe they were unraveling before, you know, and he's as much symptom as cause. I mean, it's, how, how do you, how do we get, uh, Americans, or because it's happening all over the world with the rise of authoritarian governments, how do we get people to to see what's really happening and, and delve in and to open their eyes to that um, without getting manipulated by these you know trickster figures like a Donald Trump that make that, that seemingly are are uh, the the big disruptors. I mean, they are disrupting, but how, how do we see it as it really was all along? I don't know if there's anything yeah. you can if, say if, to your people. If, well, if I, if I can come back to the issue of the future for a moment, sure. I, mean, I think Nora has articulated very well what the problems have been with thinking about the future. Because okay. for the longest time, there was sort of this determinist view of progress, right? Right. Every day in every way we were getting better and better. Well, yeah, no. It didn't quite turn out that way, right? So there's been a loss of the notion of progress. And as Nora pointed out, it, we're struggling in how to even think about the future, right? Mm. Um, but I think... At this point, the future is definitely affecting what we do now. Mm. Right. So, so I think the, uh, the, um, I, I think we do have to be aware of what we're moving towards because every, everything that we do, every action, every movement, every decision has an impact down the road. In other words, we are constantly creating the future. Mm-hmm. In every, in every action, in every thought, in everything that we do, right? And what are we doing? Right? What mm-hmm. are, what are our criteria for action? So I think one of the shifts that I think is happening in terms of how we need to approach the future is to very much look at the present, but also look at our history. As I was saying, for instance, in the, in, in the, 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 uh, Obviously, there are a lot of issues around diversity, Black Lives Matter, um, and and historically, certainly in the U.S., diversity has always been framed as a problem, you know. Uh, but there's there's little awareness. We have you know we have Black History Month, right? Black people 
only deserve one month, apparently, right? Um, and um, the uh, but but there is very little focus on, and obviously coming out of music and coming out of jazz, how how the interaction of people from different backgrounds, different cultures. Dizzy goes to Cuba. Afro-Cuban jazz is created. These interactions have been the an engine of creativity for us, right? But there's very little attention paid to that. That it it that 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 emergence that from those interactions has has played such a crucial role. People don't have examples. They have examples of prejudice, of all sorts of terrible things. But there are also wonderful things that are happening that are receiving much less attention. Um, so I think part of it involves looking at what we're doing in this very moment and seeing what kind of values do I have and how are they embodied and wh- where am I taking those, right? What If I continue along this way, what is the future going to look like based on my behavior and based on our collective, be- collective behavior, right? If we think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, you can rest assured that we're going to be in a certain kind of way that reflects that, as as Nora was saying too, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think there's a lot that we can learn from the present, from the things that we haven't paid attention to. Um, you know, Rian Eisler talks about the caring economy. It's there. It's vital. But what attention has it received, you know? So we need to shed a light, not just on, you know, the people that we need to remove from the statues, but also the generative things, the things that that are, are life-enhancing that have happened historically and the things that are happening right now, now, you know? I mean, one of the things that's lacking is, is Martin Luther King had a dream, we're still fighting the fight, but we don't have a dream anymore. That, I think, sort of sums up my point. And I don't know if you saw this little video that was on YouTube. These two little girls, because of the pandemic, a white girl and a black girl hadn't seen each other for three months or something. And they see each other for the first time and they just jump on each other and embrace each other. Martin Luther King's dream Little Mm -hmm. black children, little white children playing together, being friends. It does happen, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I think this kind of thing also needs to be emphasized because we're polluting our minds only with with the 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 horrors, which are absolutely true. This is not a, a sense that we have to dismiss those. But we also have to shed light on the light, if you see what I'm saying. So, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. I completely agree with Nora that the way we have thought about the future is actually one of the things that got us into this mess. Mm-hmm. Right? But there are other ways to think about the future that have a direct impact on how we lead every moment of our life and, and our our decision and our values and how we move forward from here. So I do want to come back to that um, because I th- think that's to a large extent missing right now in the discourse Uh, right because we are going through a major transition nobody knows where we're going everybody's afraid and so everybody is acting in a way that is to some extent uh actually a, a hindrance to any progress Thank you. And Nora? Yeah, I I want to pick up on a a word that you 
used. And because we're supposed to be talking about dancing with uncertainty, um, and it's the word dream. And um, I think for me, when I'm talking about, we have to be careful with what's in the ecology of of the ideas that we're using and talking about, thinking about approaching the notions of future. Um, there's so much that is in that territory that is unspoken, that is in the assumption, that is in the gestures and the the ideas of even, you know, when you meet somebody, how do you figure out who they are in a society and how you are in relation to them. There's a whole lot of processes just in that that are weaving us into relationships that perpetuate the existing systems. Mm. And so I think it's, it's important. Um, you know, people talk about uncertainty quite a bit and it's become almost a buzzword out there we, of being in uncertainty, managing uncertainty, you know, everything about uncertainty. Uh, but, but I want to kind of go deeper with it a little bit into thinking about those things that are not known but so much of what it is that is not known there is is not knowable. Um, it, it's outside of language. It's outside. It's outside of rational, logical um, behavior. And so then, when we think we're going to use, you know, sort of rational logic to generate a future, um, we're in immediately in a weird kind of tangle with that those deeper processes that are pulling us into other ways of being. Um, and, and this is where you get, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And there's all kinds of beautiful ecological policy out there and, and activism that is actually, um, is, as, as an example, is actually really generating polarity. Because it is only in one context, and it's very explicit. This is this is why I think the arts are so expen so so important right now. Just absolutely critical uh, because this underground territory is where I think what what Alfonso is talking about, where it's actually uh, nourished. It's the soil. It's the underground where this where this where life comes from. Um, so it's it's a tricky thing because you want to be explicit about it, but the second you're explicit about it, um, there's something in even the use of language that ties it back into a familiarity or a a, a way of seeing um, that is at another level. I mean, I guess, you know, Korzybski talked about the map and the territory. And the 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 thing is that we have to be super careful that in in working with uh notions of future not to get caught on the map. 
Mm-hmm. And the territory is messy. The territory is full of stuff that doesn't actually have, um, it doesn't really have the kind of perceivable causality that we can get grasp. So it's a tricky one. And I, I think the main thing is, uh, I guess for me, it's sort of like, I, you know, the, the, the response could get really trite and I want to avoid that, but, but it has something to do with just, um, recognizing some, some aspects of the human experience of just needing each other. Hmm. The warmth of human to human relationship. And for me, that, that is actually about another kind of integrity. Where, um, there was this, there was this, uh, contest in Sweden a couple of years ago where they offered five million dollars to the people who could put in the, um, who, who put in the best project for what a collaborative future would look like. Okay. Do you see a problem? Cause I see a problem. <laughs> And the problem was that all these people were in competition (laughs) for collaboration. Ideas about collaboration and they couldn't share their ideas with each other because of course they would all you know, we live in a world in which the common sense is actually to 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 get as far as you can as fast as you can and what's in it for me, brother, right? So so the the in order to actually you know move into another way of being the very premise of that notion of what's in it for me has to shift into what's in it for us what's in it what's in it for life what's in it that's vital mm. and yeah so i guess I think if if we're talking about uncertainty, it's really important to go into those realms that are are in uh, unspeakable places, and you know, music reaches there. Music, art, food, stories, things that are are leaving room for there to be integration of of ideas and emotions and and bodily experience in relationship Mm. in relationship beautiful well you both have just you know stirred up the soil and you've creatively addressed these these questions and and uh, we can't maybe get to the answers within within a short hour, but you know I, I'm very happy that you know there's I feel more hopeful talking with you both and and uh, yeah there is it's not an easy place to navigate certainly and 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 I agree with you Nora sometimes the you know the best intention you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions i mean look at that example you just gave about the people that wanted to have a competition over the who could 
who could decide the best collaborative future. Um, but, but, you know, the collaboration that you've modeled today and hopefully we're creatively thinking together, that is, it seems to me, the, the, uh, our hope for the future. Um, and, and, uh, this is, this has been a beautiful experience. So thank you. Thank you both so much. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, Bizgenics, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel, Native Flute Music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD, Liberty Song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey, post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies, the Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. For more information or to volunteer to help produce this podcast, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us. And you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics, there. Thank you. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Alfonso. Thank you for listening. And until next week, many blessings of good health and well-being.